Morning. Um, today we're going to be integrating sharing time into the sermon. Um, and so I'll be asking you some things along the way to, to help us sort of shape together and, and to interpret scripture together. Um, let's pray together. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Uh, salt and light. This is the two metaphors that Jesus offers up to these people who are listening to him in this uh, section of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, that we're sort of finding ourselves in the middle of. And the idea behind these metaphors is that it's to help the disciples to understand their relationship to the world. They're doing something here that's different than what's happening out there. We think that we're doing something different than maybe what's happening out there. My question is, what is the relationship between those two things? And I wonder what you have heard along your way. What is the relationship of the church to the world out there? Good answers, bad answers, things you agree with, disagree with. Tell me what you got. I'll start with some of the bad answers. So, um, I was taught that the world was under total depravity and that the church was a safe place away from that depravity. Yeah. Bad stuff out there, good stuff in here. Okay. Others. Relationship of the church to what's going on out there. I've heard a lot about the this combo of the world, the flesh, and the devil, and we're supposed to separate ourselves from that. So for some of us, maybe some Mennonite communities, total separation or as best we can do to separate ourselves from the world, maybe technology, military, whatever those things are, bad stuff. Others, any positive relationships to the world? You can give me a bad one too, Yuri, that's fine. It's more of a bad one. So. Um... Kind of the opposite of kind of separation is that we have to enter into this bad world and take dominion so there's different levels of culture like entertainment um politics so we have to put our people in charge and then that's when we kind of can have restoration of that dominion of garden of eden restoration of god's original intention so sort of the recognition that not maybe that we aren't supposed to separate ourselves, but we're supposed to get in there and add our Christian stuff to the bad stuff and make it good stuff. I had it very different because I, it was the people in the church. The minister never thrilled me at all, but the choir director and the, the custodian were such good Christian people. I learned that it's what you do, not what you say. So really what matters is how we live, not necessarily our belief systems. Yeah. One good thing I was taught was that we should be in service of others. And that is how in a church we would, you know, relate to the outside world is to be in service. Yeah. Oh, and last one for you, Deb. Another Another positive one. I mean, I was taught that you lived you 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 lived as the light of the world throughout the week. 
not just on Sundays. Yeah, so the theme of light, again, that the church offers light, projects some sort of clarity into the world. Yes. Um, this sort of way of thinking about this, working this out, is sometimes called political theology or what's the relationship of the church to politics, to the world, to the state. Um, and um, Yuri kind of hit, him, hit on one side of this equation, um, an equation that, that sometimes we call dominionism. Um, you heard Yuri mention that a couple times. And this sort of vision of the world, God has called Christians to take control of political and cultural institutions. Um, our nation and really every nation in this sort of way of, of dividing up the world ought to be a Christian nation, right? If we're, we got the goods, we want other people to kind of be a part of that too. Um, and so biblical laws, biblical principles, biblical economies should really rule for everyone. Um, we also know this in our world today is Christian nationalism, right? This idea that whatever happens in the church ought to be imposed as the good thing onto the rest of, of our country. So the other end of that is, is some, maybe something like Lutheranism. Um, the Lutherans had a, had a much stronger sense of the division that we've sort of heard people talk about. There's the church and there's the world. And religion in, in sort of classic Lutheranism is really a private matter. It's a matter of forgiveness, of service to the world. Um, whereas the state really functions to discipline people because it receives its authority from God. So even though it's not the church, it's really the source of authority in our world. And Christians have duties to both realms, church and state. Those are just different duties. Um, so forever, people have been trying to work this relationship out. Um, those are just two ways that it happens. And then there's Jesus, who says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Um, Jesus is with his disciples sitting on this hill, and he offers these two descriptions, inviting these metaphors to shape our imaginations. You followers of Jesus are salt of the earth to the places where we make our lives on this planet. You're the light of the world, the light of the cosmos, the full breadth of the created order. Which means you're not some things. You're not a stick, you're not a sword. You aren't a philosopher or a professor. You aren't an absent parent and you aren't a tyrannical king. You are salt and you are light. And I have to say, in light of all the other metaphorical options of the world, those are pretty modest. So let's start with salt. Salt can do lots of things. It preserves, it can purify. Salt also helps food to taste good. And I realized this week, there is one form of cooking that actually does all three of these things. Pickling, pickling. I love pickling and most years I grow pickling cucumbers in my garden. 
And in the late summer, when these vines are full, I mix together this very salty brine. And I push these clean, knobby cucumbers into the brine and let them ferment. And that brine does a few things. It kills pathogens. It, it stops spoilage from happening. Bad bacteria cannot grow in this brine because of the salt concentration. But I also learned this week that the salty brine allows harmless bacteria already in the cucumber to thrive in fermentation. And this process turns my ordinary cucumbers into these spicy tart pickles that can last a long time. If you would like the dinosaur, dinosaur barbecue pickling recipe, please see me after the service, it's delicious. This is a rich metaphor, especially for a community that lived in an arid climate where food spoilage was regular and potentially deadly. Pickling and preserving are standard means of survival. They make food last past the just initial dates of a harvest. And when I started thinking about brining and pickles and fermentation, I noticed the metaphor of Jesus' followers in a different way. Jesus' followers are called to be like salt, to preserve and enliven what is already a good world around them. Cucumbers and cabbage, they are actually just fine as they are. <laughs> but they are delightful as pickles and kimchi. And so it seems that whatever the disciples are up to in their lives, it will involve keeping away which is harmful and bringing out the good of what is around them in people and creatures and land and societies, the good that is already there. Jesus keeps the metaphor going. If salt loses its saltiness, what good is it? You just throw it out. Uh, unsalty salt is sort of like unwet water. <laughs> it, it doesn't really make sense. Um, it isn't bad saltiness or good saltiness. And the gospel writer actually uses a play on words here. Salt losing its flavor is actually the word foolishness. It's absurd. Because we are how we live. And when we cease to have the properties of salt, then we're just nothing. And I heard another word for us in this, in another word for Jesus followers. If we aren't able to brine our world, to offer protection and care, to bring out the goodness and retain the wholeness of the earth, if we aren't doing this, we probably aren't actually salt. <laughs> We're just useless, crunchy lumps that get thrown into the trash cans. <laughs> Jesus gives us another metaphor to get in and see what's happening here. You are the light of the world. If you want a light in your house, you don't put the candle under something because that would snuff it out. <laughs> Instead, you put it on a lampstand, on a candlestick that lights up the whole room. That's what a candlestick does. And so what does light do? If you're sighted, it helps you to see things that you couldn't otherwise see. 
Light helps you to find your way around your house at night to use things that you may use during the day, but now you can use them at other times. Light might keep away things that are harmful or scary creatures and people who shouldn't need be there. Light in a dark home extends usefulness and possibility that is already in the room. And it can help you identify danger or harm. Friends, a lamp is also a very modest metaphor. Light just makes some things more possible. And so sitting with these metaphors, these modest metaphors for Jesus followers, I wonder how this shifts your understanding of what we are, what we do for people and creatures and our social order. What do you hear in this metaphor for us? I'd love to hear your thoughts. So a, a friend had described going into a cave, I don't know, maybe somewhere in the Middle East where they had a couple of candles and almost the entire cave was filled with mirrors, just small mirrors. And so just these couple of candles lit up the whole space. Um, and I love that, you know, from the beginning of candle time, putting a reflective surface or some kind of metal or something near a candle was a practice so that you could illuminate more of the space. So I love that that metaphor of, you know, being the ref like reflecting the light in each other um, is something that we can do to magnify the light among us. Jackie, the other thing that makes me think of is, is we've also been in caverns before where what the light does is it just lets you see the wonder, right? You're like, oh, this has been down here all along. We bring this light in and now we can see and everybody else can see again, like what, what was already here, right? But others. Well, I was thinking about soup. I'm always thinking about <laughs> how the disbursement properties of light and salt. We can never retrieve that salt back. Once we put it in food, it disperses and it makes it better. And it's never really noticeable. Nobody ever says, oh, this salt is so good. But the soup is. So you never see the one little grain. You see the effects always. And then I was thinking about, um, we say, well, I'm bringing this little light into this closet. The closet is pitch dark. You bring the little light and the closet lights up. But whoever brings a little dark into a lit place. So the power of it, so. Any others? Yeah, Melissa. Uh, I was thinking about um, composting. <laughs> <laughs> which you've talked about before, and I think I've talked about before, but just that idea of, um, you mentioned like, if you don't pickle something in time, like if you pickle something, it preserves it, right? With the salt preserves it and flavors it. Um, and I think in sort of the world we've created, if you don't pickle in time, like obviously like it, it gets mushy and a lot of people just throw it away and it goes to a landfill, but in the natural processes 
of our creator, if you don't pickle it in time, it gets thrown out. And there are other processes that reclaim those, those whatever it was that wasn't preserved. Um, and it reclaims it and grows into something new. You know, so there is like the pickling preserves, but if we miss that pickling, like it's still like there is a cycle, there's a process that where life does keep going and chances keep coming. And I don't know, I was thinking about the linking between those. Yeah, I really love that, Melissa, because um, it also reminds us that God's will will be done, right? Like this is an opportunity to participate in uh, in God's goodness taking place and it does not depend on us, right? That. Um, God will always, there's always something else God can do around the corner and we are welcome to participate in that, in that movement of God's making all things new, or we can wait for the next process, but should you show me that? Well, the, the idea that it's, it's a modest metaphor, it's really made me think about um, this kind of idea of psychological flexibility and um, how sometimes um, these self-concepts that we have of ourselves and like self-importance really contribute to this rigidity and a lot of pressure. So it's it's um, liberating to think that we're not that important. It's not, it's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a modest metaphor, but at the same time, it kind of gives freedom to kind of more action and more flexibility, not being as we need to defend something or, um, become defensive, just one simple step forward. Yeah, and that sort of feeling like what's behind Christian nationalism is the sense of if we're if we can't, if we don't step in here, all is lost. And when actually God can work in all sorts of ways, um, and God is sovereign over overall. So I hear that. Yes, Jackie. I double dip. Um, so on the salt front, one of the things that we've been studying in our geography class is um, the North African kingdoms and uh, salt was more valuable than gold, right? Because you could preserve food, you could flavor it. Uh, and so the wealth of many kingdoms was built on this thing that we just take for granted that, you know, costs less than a buck, you know, and like lasts over a month. Um, so yeah, students were sort of like, yeah, but you can't eat gold. You can't eat the well, but you can do, yeah, you can use this thing, this very simple thing that is more precious. Yeah. Space down here. I recently learned that there's a thing called a salt cave. And it supposedly has like all these benefits to just like sit in a room with salt. So like there, it's not just the flavor. Apparently it can help with your thyroid and it's like 45 minutes is like three days at the beach can help your sinuses. So it has far more benefits than I ever realized. So one more, okay, two more. I'm gonna go with. Roz, and then we'll come up to Esther. At school, I figured out something really cool about elephants, and they go into caves and they scrape with their tusks salt off the walls of caves like to, like to, to eat it. To eat. Yeah. Thank you for that fact. 
I noticed when you um, referred to the light, you said for those of us who are sighted, and that took me to uh, the other senses too, um, and other metaphors, lights of waves, sound waves, other sound fills the room. It's a, when we speak, when we sing, it connects us with one another, with the spirit. Smell, a little bit of something scented can fill a whole space as well. I think that's that modesty again, right? That that people who are blind navigate our worlds without light all the time, right? Um, so to give this one sense, yes. One of one other thing that light does is it lets us see color. Without light, we can't see color. You can see shape and and that, but it brings out the exquisiteness of what is around us. Thank you all for sharing. Um, I've been asking that question that I asked you all a lot this week um, and about ways that Mennonite Christians, how we find ourselves in this metaphor of salt and light. Um, and there's a core to our tradition with, where I can see these metaphors at work. Um, for our entire existence, our, we've offered up our lives as a witness to what is possible when we no longer participate in state violence. We told the stories in the body of the church of people who resisted military service and faced imprisonment for that, torture, and even death because they refused to let state violence be the last word. They said, look around and see what else is possible with what we already have here among us. And I wanted to start today's scripture actually not where the lectionary starts, but kind of backing it up a couple verses. Um, because you may remember last week we had the Beatitudes. Um, blessed are those who are blessed are those who are, they are happy for those who are meek, for those who are peaceful, right? But something switches in this last stanza. Not blessed are those people, but blessed are you. Not theoretical people out there, but you and me. Blessed are you when you people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you on my account. Because there's something about casting light, something about offering space and protection and care for earth that is already good that threatens the power of this world. Um, this morning, I asked um, Chris if we could sing the anthem of the civil rights movement, This Little Light of Mine. Um, and I asked for that because I remembered that there was a particular conference hosted by SNCC shortly after the assassination of John F. Kennedy. And the people who attended this conference talked about the heaviness and weight of this organizational training they were in. It was so daunting how the task felt in that moment. And so they asked this woman named Fannie Lou Hamer to come up and speak, to help people to remember why they were there. And she began to talk about her own story, to shine the light on her experience and how that intersected with the broader struggle of Black liberation and the movement. And then she began to sing, this little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. 
all over Mississippi. I'm going to let it shine. In an interview I read about Hamer, another member of SNCC said, I'm convinced she chose that song for a reason. She knew that summarized her life. The reason she fastened upon it, I think, is that she saw that walking off the plantation made a difference. That one little act had made a difference. That little light was actually a threat. It was a threat to challenge the power of global military forces. It's a threat to the powers of white supremacy to walk off the plantation. It's a threat to shed light on the way things are. And I am also aware of the deep failures of the church to be salt and light. And we are also embedded in that history. Our Mennonite ancestors who resisted the military were also happy to farm on land that was cleared of indigenous people by the US military. After a century of resistance, Mennonites are more and more conceding to policing, which is just militarization on our own soil. And yet these words remain, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Preserve, protect, make space, flavor, rejoice, shed light on the harm, call out which is already good and thriving in our world and help it to grow and get stronger. These are modest suggestions. And if we do them well, they will put us in direct conflict with powers that want to dominate and destroy what is good in our world. But friends, what a life it will be. As we, a people together, testify with our lives that the God who lives is the God of love. Amen.